book. Uh, I've had the privilege uh, to join with a pastoral coach and mentor of mine to write the foreword of this book. They call it co-authorship, actually, but I wrote the foreword. And uh, so anyway, um, it's about the storms of life. And Pastor Nelson took the top 10 storms or top 10 trials that everybody goes through, whether it's marital problems, financial distress, lack of purpose, uh, you just don't know why you're here, this glob of flesh that's here on this planet, why am I here, I'm not, you know, so lack of purpose, death, um, you know, and it comes to all of us. Um, so anyway, he has laid out 10 um, big storms. And so, but you can remain unshakable in the midst of those storms. In the forward, I talked about some storms in my life and in Kelly's life, and it sort of sets you up. So if you get this book, and they're available at the Connection Center <clears throat> today, uh, and they're $10, and uh, you can order them from our Facebook page. However, if you do that, they charge the shipping because it costs to ship it. So if you can get it here, then I would get it here. If not, um, you know, <laughs> the shipping is there. So nonetheless, but it's going to, I'm proud of it for a couple of reasons. Not because my picture's on the back. That might be a place you want to put that in your garden to keep the pest away. But, um, but because of, I mean, our church logo is here uh, on the back as well. And uh, it, it gives, for lack of a better term, some validity to basically say the church has endorsed this book. Our, your pastor has written the forward to it. It is solid. And the, the beauty of the book is if you read the, the forward, obviously, and then chapter one, chapter two tells you how to use the book. You don't have to read it from cover to cover, although you may choose to. You may want to jump right to the chapter that deals with death, if that's what you're struggling with. Or maybe straight to the chapter that deals with finances because they towed your brand new car off last night or something. I don't know. But uh, it's there. And we appreciate you getting that book, uh, telling people about it, and inviting somebody to join a life group. Listen, we believe in doing life together, not apart. So now, that being said, I'm going to say one more thing, and I'm going to jump right into Call Me Crazy. <clears throat> Here's the way it's going to work. On Sunday mornings, starting um, in October, uh, the sign-ups start next week, but in October, the actual groups start. So I will be preaching a message from one of these chapters um, I'll be preaching that message, and then there will also be a study guide that I will write and hand to all the facilitators. And you will take that Sunday morning message with that study guide and go deeper with your group of 8 or 10, 15 people. And we have 20 groups established right now. Uh, I'm believing God for 30 groups because we should be able to do 30 groups in a church that's, you know, the last four weeks you were well over 600 in attendance. So I believe we can find 30 groups out of that. But if you're here and you say, Pastor, I think if I read that book, heard you preach the message, and had a syllabus that you wrote, I might be able to facilitate a group. If that's you, and you have not already been contacted, if you would let me know, uh, you could text me or you could write, uh, email as mike.sains at harborwc, or just do the office. It doesn't matter. We need to know it right away, though. 
uh, then you might be one to say, you know what, Pastor, I'm not going to speak in front of nobody, but I can open my home for an hour and a half, and uh, you know, we can, I can do that. So if you're willing to do that, that's just as great a ministry as the person speaking. <clears throat> so if you'll do either of those, be greatly appreciated. By all means, stop and pick up your copy. Uh, if you don't like it, I guess you could pass it on to somebody or make good firewood, but uh, I hope that's not the case. I truly believe that it is a book that will, will help you make it through some tough times in your life because, hey, listen, it's not a matter of if storms are coming. They are. <clears throat> they are. Will you be ready for them? So enough about that. Welcome to our fourth installment of Call Me Crazy. Uh, I've been called worse. Uh, I mean, I jumped out of an airplane four times yesterday, so I understand the term being called crazy. Strange thing, yesterday I had a girl that never had this happen to me before, ever. We're about one minute from landing, and she said, I feel like I'm going to faint. I feel like I'm going to pass out next thing I know. I'm shaking. I said, Cheyenne, Cheyenne, I really need you to wake up for this landing. I need you to get your, your feet up so that we don't break your legs, you know. That's, but, so I, nothing, nothing I said worked. Cheyenne, wake up, wake up. Pretty soon I got to quit shaking her and actually land this thing. And so I'm praying, oh God, you know, if you ever answered a prayer, answer this one. You know, and so, so now I've got to not only pick my leg, normally I don't pick my legs up, I just, they pick theirs up and I land on mine. But nonetheless, so I had to pick hers and mine up. So I'm like, oh Lord, help me. And we slid to a beautiful landing. She woke up and said, where have I been? I said, you slept through the landing, honey. But anyway, thank God everything's all cool. So call me crazy. Anyway, so I want to talk with you about Gideon. Gideon is a guy uh, whose circumstances looked dire. His circumstances was jacked up, man. Let me just tell you. Midian, a country, had oppressed Israel for seven years because God sent Midian to oppress them because they had done evil in the eyes of the Lord and had not repented. So God allowed the Midianites to come in. And man, when they came, they came hard. They came in there and took the women, the children, the food, the groceries. They just took what they wanted and melted back into the desert. The camel had just been domesticated. Prior to that, it would have hard, it'd have been hard to melt back into the desert with a donkey because you would literally melt back into the desert with the heat. But a camel now, with the water that they can carry, they could endure long treks, you know, across desert and whatever. And so the Midianites would come in, do what they wanted to do, and just sort of melt back out into the desert. It's been happening now for seven years. And Gideon is hiding in a cave, threshing wheat. In other words, you know, getting wheat ready to, to eat. He's threshing wheat, and an angel of the Lord comes to him, and he says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon looked around as if he was talking to somebody else, and there was nobody else there. He said, you are a mighty warrior. And this is where your circumstance don't always look like what God says. God just now said, you are a mighty warrior. 
But he looked around at his circumstances and said, I don't feel like a mighty warrior. I'm hiding from my enemy. I'm scared. We've been doing this for seven years. So the thing I need you to understand today, first and foremost, is that situations are never out of hand for God's children, although circumstances say otherwise. I want to say that again slow for you, so you get it. Most important thing you'll learn today, period. If you don't get nothing else, get this. Situations are never, say it with me, situations are never out of hand for God's people. Even though circumstances say differently. Gideon looked around and man, he's hiding, he's scared. Now, now you know, I, I wish I had time to, I don't have time to recap all of this, but you know, if you weren't here last week, he had torn down his father, Joash, had a altar to Baal in the front yard and an Asherah pole. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon when he told him he's a mighty warrior. He said, I, I don't know. He said, you got me wrong. I'm the least of my father's house and, you know, a small clan of Manasseh and all this stuff. Well, he built an altar right there and sacrificed a bull on it. And the angel touched the rock that was on and flames come out of the rock and consumed the sacrifice. That made Gideon know, oh, wait a minute. I might be a mighty warrior. I might just be who God said I am. Are y'all with me? So the angel said to him, I want you to do something else. I want you to go tonight and tear down your daddy's altar to Baal, tear down the Asherah pole. So he did that. And you remember the people came out the next day and told Joash, they said, hey, Gideon has done this. Bring him out here so we deal with him. Now here's what I understand. I want you to understand. This was the land of Israel. This was uh, people that's supposed to be devoted to God, Jehovah. But some of them, while holding on to God with one hand, built an altar to Baal in the other hand. And, and, and it is not right for we who call ourselves Christians to love God on one hand, but yet build an idol on the other. They were divided. How long halt ye between two opinions, Elijah said? You know, if God be God, serve him. But if Baal be God, serve him. Joshua would say, are you going to serve the gods on the other side of the river? Or are you going to serve the Lord God? But choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, I've decided that we will serve the Lord. So now sometimes serving the Lord, it looks funny when your circumstances look horrible. But yet God says you're a mighty warrior. Gideon's daddy come out and said, listen, see, see, God done some work on old Gideon's daddy's heart. Joash had heart surgery that night and y'all didn't, nobody even knew it. They thought he was going to come out and say, okay, turn Baal over or turn Gideon over to them because he'd done this. He come out and said, listen, if Baal really was a God, he could defend himself. Huh? So I wish I had time to rehash that, but go check it out on the internet from last week. But nonetheless, so Gideon finds himself in a bad situation. He is uh, in, in this spot. He's hiding from the enemy. But God has said he's a mighty warrior, but his circumstances don't look like he's a mighty warrior. And some of you, God had said you're an overcomer. God said you're more than what you are. But you look at your, search, your situation, you say, man, I have not completed this. I haven't got here. I should be there. I've done this. I've done that. And it looks like it's all for naught. But I come today and I preach a message that says, 
you're a mighty warrior. I come in and say, you're a great child of God. And you're saying, I just don't have no evidence of it, Pastor. Nor did Gideon at this point. The, the quick evidence that he did have was when the angel consumed that sacrifice. But let's go on. So uh, Gideon had torn down the altar. He'd done all of this stuff. And so because he did that, Midian got mad. The Midian was the arm, the Midianites, that was the people that was against Israel. And they served Baal. And because they did that, the Bible said that the Amalekites joined with them and other Eastern people. So we don't know if it's another nation or two nations or four. But so now you have Midian, Amalek, and one or two or three other countries that's all ticked off because an Israelite boy tore down this altar to Baal and Asherah. So they decide we're going to come in and we're really going to ratchet up the heat now. You understand? So, so, so Gideon is in a situation where it does not look like that he is who God says he is. God says you're a mighty warrior and he's looking like, well, if I am, why has all of this befallen us? If I am indeed a mighty warrior to you and a mighty man of valor, where's all the miracles my grandparents told me about? I want to remind you, before we get too deep in this, you've got to understand the very first phrase of the chapter was Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and God allowed the Midianites to come in and beat up on them so that they would turn back to God. You say, I don't need God. When hell gets hot enough in your life, you'll turn back to him. Hello? That's right. Somebody's going to tweet that. <laughs> when hell gets hot enough in your life, you'll turn back to him. So we don't, we, we, I don't need God. I don't need, well, when the heat turns up, these people turn back to God. So Gideon's circumstances is this. The, the Midianites had come and the camp of Midian was in the north of the valley. This is verse one of chapter six. And, uh, or chapter seven, then Gideon, or the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver you. Well, let, let me, first of all, lay out a little bit of, um, what, what's happened since Gideon found out that Midian was coming and Amalek was coming and some other countries, he got a, a, a trumpet and blasted the call. And he basically, I mean, in our modern day, we'd send out an e-blast, you know, big email to everybody. And 32,000 men showed up. 32,000 men come and say, hey, we'll fight for Israel. We've had enough of this. We'll, we'll get together. So 32,000 men show up. So Gideon thinks, oh boy, yippee. I got 32,000 men showed up. I hadn't got to fight by myself. But now he learns it's not just Midian anymore, but it's Amalek and other countries. So we don't know how many other countries are. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So but the Bible says that the Lord said to Gideon, there's too many men for me to get the glory out of this. He said, if, if, if we were to win this with 32,000 men, I know Israel well enough to look back. They would say, well, we just had enough men. We had enough strength and enough men come forward and we did this on our own. So God said, Gideon, what I want you to do is tell all them people out there, 32,000, tell anybody who's scared to go home. So he basically called a meeting, all his 32,000 men. He said, hey, if you're scared, say you're scared. Raise your hand. 
bunch of them raise their hand. Go home. We don't need you. If you're scared, go home. Don't need you. Whoa. 22,000 men said, I'm scared. That left 10,000. So, I mean, we winnowed them out pretty quick, hadn't we? There's only 10,000 men left. We've got to fight Midian, Amalek, and other countries, ever how many that is. And then the Lord says to Gideon, uh, he said, but you know what? The men that are with you are still too many. He said, because 10,000, they're probably still going to say the same thing that we pulled this thing off. He said, so I want you to take them down to the water hole, and I'm going to test them for you. He said, when I get down to the water hole, uh, the men that drink lapping like a dog. In other words, they, they cup that water up and lap like a dog. Huh? Call me crazy. It's all right. But they're lapping like a dog. He said, I want you to set those guys aside from those who get on their knees like this. You see, now this is totally mycology here, so you can take this or leave it. But I believe that it's not too far, and I think it does no injustice to the Word of God to say that the men who just sort of buried their face to the water was not alert at all as to their surroundings, but that they dipped that water up and drank while they're looking around. And God says, with those who lap water like a dog from their hands, by those men I will save Israel from the hand of Midian. 9,700 knelt down with their face in the water. So 9,700 men went home, leaving Gideon with only 300 men. That's a long way from 32,000. Call me crazy, but we're fixing to fight three countries with 300 men. I want to tell you again, I want to remind you, situations are never out of hand for God's children, although circumstances say otherwise. If you looked at the circumstance, they would say, Gideon, you are a fool. Gideon, you are crazy. Gideon, you'll never come back from this battle. Gideon this and Gideon that. And people tell you the same crazy mess. Listen, do not let just anybody speak into your life. There are some of you on the edge of divorce right now. And you go to talk to somebody that's divorced. Well, do you want to get divorced or you want to stay married? Go find somebody who's been married 20 or 30 years. Look at somebody who has done what you want to do and listen to somebody who's walking the walk and not just talking the talk. But it amazes me how we get into a mess and we'll go cry with people that will let us cry on their shoulder and we can moan and gripe together. I know that's stinging a little bit. I feel it bouncing back. <laughs> but here's the deal. I don't care how bleak that is, how, how the circumstances look. There's nothing too far, too far out there, too hard for God, even though the circumstances says it's impossible. But don't let everybody speak into your life. Because there's people that'll they'll be willing for you to kill yourself. We done seen that on Facebook. One guy says, I'm thinking about killing myself. His girlfriend said, go ahead and do it. So he did. Y'all with me? Don't let just anybody speak into your life. You make sure it's somebody who's walking the walk. You make sure it's somebody that's in the Word of God. That's who you got to let speak into your life. Anyway, uh, that's another story. His circumstances have gone from bad to worse. 
Some of you come today and say, man, I got saved six months ago. I was doing good. Since then, I've lost my truck. I've lost my dog. And my wife's talking about leaving. That may be a reality for some people. And you say, no, I just don't understand why is things looking worse. And sometimes it does get, you know, it gets darkest right before the dawn. You do know that, don't you? But, but Gideon's circumstances, okay, it was just Midian. Been Midian for seven years. Now it's Amalek and th- two or three other countries. Okay, so, so that has gained exponential, uh, you know, problems. And then he had 32,000 men. That looked like that ought to be a good thing. And God said, tell them if they're scared, go home. And 22,000 went home. And then they took them to drink the water. And 9,700 of them didn't do it the way God wanted to. So 9,700 went home. And so you take away all that. He's left with only 300 men out of 32,000. Call me crazy, but that, that's insane. I, I'd work real well, you know, sanes, insane. I've had a lot of people just add that to my name. So anyway, but uh, so Gideon has one in moments where God says, okay, so he says, God, you tell me I'm a mighty man. You're telling me that uh, I'm a great warrior. He said, but I I need some evidence. He said, I know know the angel showed me that when it consumed that sacrifice, but the angel's gone. Now I need a little bit more. So he's praying to God and he says, God, what I I need to do is I'm going to take a wool fleece and I'm going to lay it out here on the ground under the stars tonight and in the morning if you really are wanting me to do this when I get up in the morning uh, I want water to be all over that fleece and, and the ground be dry he got up the next morning got him a big bucket right here and he grabbed the fleece and wrung water out of it kicked the ground and it's dry as powder and just like me and you he says now God please don't be angry with me But I really need to know that I know that I know. So in the morning, could you just reverse that thing? And if this is really you, I'll leave it in the same place. But in the morning, let let the fleece be dry and let the ground be soaking wet. So in the morning, he got up and he picked the fleece up and he rang. And and there ain't a drop of water come out of it. And he's kicking the ground and there's grass and everything's wet. I mean, the dew had fell. He said, now I know God really wants me to do this. It's crazy. Why? The circumstances look like you are doomed. It looks like there will never be a victory. There is no way on God's earth that this is going to work out. The circ- Listen, if I would have listened to people about coming here 23 years ago, I had my most beloved pastor, my own pastor, said, now Mike, I want to tell you something. He said, I would be very, very careful. He said, and if you know that you know that you know that God said go, I'll come help you pack. He said, but I done preach revivals down that way. And you better know this is God. Brother Troy, I had doubts of my own self. That's my pastor talking. Y'all with me? And, uh, but I did know this. I did know I had heard from the Lord. And so, call me crazy, and they did. A lot of them did. I mean, there wasn't nobody standing in line to come. Y'all with me? Not to the debt we had and the, all the stuff that was, we were struggling with. Call me crazy. Yeah, it was crazy to leave. 
you know, uh, other things, let me just say it that way, and, and God had blessed and prospered, but circumstances look bleak, but God says go. Call me crazy, but you got to do what God says do. All right, let me, let me move on. So, so uh, you got to understand that, first of all, why it's important for you to know that situations are not out of hand, even though circumstances say otherwise. It's important for you to know that because without understanding that, you will look through fleshly eyes and eyes of humanity will never see spiritual things. Woo. Woo. Eyes of humanity will never see spiritual things. Let me show you something. The apostle Peter was in the boat. Jesus come walking on the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus was walking, Simon Peter looked at him. They were scared to death. They thought it was a ghost. And... Uh, he says, uh, do not be afraid, it is I. Simon Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to you on the water. The Lord said, come. Simon Peter stepped out of the boat, and he began to walk to him on the water. On the water, on the water. Y'all with me? Y'all tried that lately? Well, go down to the public pool, I'll go with you. So he's walking on the water, and He's looking right at Jesus and he's walking on the water and it's almost like walking on glass and he's, he's eyeball to eyeball and all of a sudden he heard the wind and he saw the waves. And when he heard the wind and he saw the waves, he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to look at the circumstances and he began to sink. And right before he went under, he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached down and said, oh, thou little faith, wherefore did you doubt? Let me say this, in bleak circumstances, when it looks horrible, listen, it doesn't matter what the circumstances look like or say, it is never out of hand with a child of God. And you need to know that lest you look through the eyes of flesh like the apostle Peter and see the things that there's no way I can be walking on water. There's no way I could be walking among these ways where you were just doing it until you took your eyes off the source of your strength. So, uh, here's what I need you to do. Every, every, there's always an action step. you got to do this. You have to understand that God is bigger than that problem. Whatever it is, that, that money problem, that marital problem, that relational problem, that problem with the boss, whatever it is, got to understand that God is bigger than the problem and that God wants to use you in the midst of that problem. Uh-oh, you was happy with the first one. Well, I can believe. Well, listen, belief with no action is not belief at all. Y'all should have come first service. It wasn't quite this hard. You see, the only catch is he's depending on you to obey him. Let, let me show you something. Gideon had to obey him every step. Gideon had to go cut down his daddy's altar uh, to Baal to take down the ashram. He had to do all that stuff. He didn't know what was going to come of him. He just simply obeyed. So he's depending on you regardless of what your circumstances are looking at right now. And then God reveals his plan to Gideon. God says to Gideon, he says, I want you to get up and go down to the camp and I'm going to give them into your hand. He said, but if you're afraid, now some of you are afraid to do what God said do. I too join your ranks I have been afraid to do what God said do. When God said, come down here, I'm thinking, Lord, you mean tell me I'm going to resign my church that's doing really well. We was in our, at the height of, you know, our, 
heyday there in Claxton, which was around 100, but when you come from 34, that's pretty good. And um, we were doing about almost $5,000 a month in tithe, and that don't sound like a whole lot to you now because of where God has blessed us. But at that time, the all-time record was $1,100. And so, so, but Lord, I'm a bailiff in the courthouse and I'm a juvenile officer for the state and I've got all these things going on. I had some income streams and the church was doing good and I got four children and a wife and now I'm fixing to walk away from all of this and just do something crazy. Call me crazy when God confirmed it after numerous fleece on the ground. I mean, numerous times I called on the Lord. I said, okay, Lord, with reckless abandon, I resign my church here and, and all the jobs, and I will go. And I did. And it was scary. I drove into the church, the old church, me and Kelly on the golf cart last night. I drove in there. I said, do you remember the first day we drove in here 23 years ago? Sister Diane Rowland had on a big neck brace. Had a couple people out there that was doing a barbecue to, to uh, you know, help the church because pastor ain't even got paid in the last few weeks. And it was, it was rough time. And you know, we were way in arrears. And I said, I remember turning that corner and thinking, oh my God, what have I got myself into? What have I got myself into? Let me tell you something. I, I don't know why I got to say this. I got to tell somebody this though. I mean, I come and we're looking at $71,300 in debt, 22000 that we needed right now in arrears, terrible things. It, it was rough and I was scared out of my mind. The Lord spoke to me in the altar with a, a yellow legal pad. I wrote down everything we need. Lord, we need a lawnmower. Lord, we need a sign. Lord, we need this. Lord, we need that. I mean everything. Lord, we need, we need everything. Lord, I could have just wrote everything. And there wasn't no money. And what many people left, 15 the week before we got there. And... The Lord spoke to me, Brother Troy, and right on this side of the altar, the old church, and God said to me, I will take care of that debt, and I will give you everything you need. I'll bring you back to square one. And I'm like, yeah, God, right. I ain't even got no young people here at the time. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do all this. Let me just tell you how this happened. Some of y'all remember Mr. Bailey. I don't know if you do. I know Mike Wooten was good friends with him. He owned TDS Telecom. I'll never forget, shortly after my prayer, it might have been a year, I had two old men showed up at the parsonage. Me and, me and Kelly lived in that little block parsonage there. And this guy says, Pastor, here's a packet from the St. Mary's United Methodist Church. And he said, there's going to be a meeting on such such day. And uh, you need to be there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was cordial. I was nice. But uh, I really wasn't really sure I was going to go. But he said, um, as he left, he, he pulled his glasses down and looked over his glasses and he said, Pastor, it would behoove you to be there. There'll only be one such meeting and you need to have your treasurer with you. I got a little concerned then. I called Brother Eddie Hopkins and said, listen, me and you've got to be somewhere at a certain time. And we got there and... Uh, Pastor McAleer was the pastor at that time and he spoke for five minutes maybe. We sang two or three worship courses. There were places like place mats in Kingsland Church of God. That was us in those days and had an envelope there. 
and a place for my treasurer, pastor and treasurer, and all the way around that room was churches. And the pastor got up and said, listen, God blessed us with a lot of money, 63 some odd million dollars. He said, we, he said, I talked to our board and we believe in tithe, tithing. And we have vetted these churches. If you're here, it's because we've already checked you out. And we know that you're, you know, not a fly-by-nighter, so to speak. And he said, we're going to pray and then you're going to open that envelope. And if you can believe in the Trinity and that we are, you know, we serve a Trinitarian God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, baptism in water and that sort of thing, then that's, that's what we're going to grant you. Brother Eddie opened that envelope. Tears welled up in his eyes. And when I looked at it, mine too. 71000 100 and some odd dollars within $100 of everything we owed the bank. And it's almost like the Lord said to me right then, I told you, I'd bring you back to square one. From that day to this, nobody's ever given the church 70-something thousand dollars. The Lord said, I know what you needed. I'm big enough to give it to you. I can do whatever. And you know what? Since then, we bought the sign. We bought the lawnmower. We bought everything we needed. We remodeled. We did this. We made it run as smooth as we could run until one day we bought this property. And a few years later, we built this building. And it won't be long. God will say, we're going to do something else. I don't know why I had to tell somebody. I'm back to Gideon here. He's scared about obeying the Lord. So the Lord said, if you're scared, I want you to go down there and listen. I want you to eavesdrop on a conversation that's going on. And here's what he did. Verse 10 of chapter 7. If you're afraid to go attack, go down to the camp with your servant Peru, uh, Purah, and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Would, let, let me ask you, did their cir- circumstances look bleak? Absolutely. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. He said, I had a dream. He said, uh, a round loaf of barley bread come tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that it turned over the tent and collapsed. His friend responded. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out and said, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. I don't care how how dismal the circumstances look. How bleak the circumstances look. Situations are never out of hand with God's people, even though their circumstances say otherwise. Let me go further. So what you've got to do is this. Here's your chance to put your faith on display. Gideon still got to lead the army. They're all gone. There's only 300 of them. There's 100 over here, 100 over here, and 100 right here. Gideon's got 100. I can't remember the other two men, but they got 100 apiece. And here's what he's supposed to do. You see, God's looking for somebody that'll put their complete trust in him. So here's your chance. It's going to take 
faith when you're glaring at odds like this. But here it is, verse 16. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them and torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. And when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all those who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the 300 men reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their hands and holding in their right hand the trumpets that they were going to blow. They shouted, the sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, the Midianites ran crying as they fled. And God delivered Israel from the hand of Midian, Amalek, and the eastern people. Would you stand with me? I want to apply this to you today. Because you may be here and your life is out of control. The circumstances are beyond your ability. It doesn't even look plausible that God could fix it. It doesn't even, it doesn't look probable. But I want to tell you when it's implausible, when it's improbable, God says with man it's impossible, but with me it's still possible. I mean, Lazarus was dead four days and stunk. There was 5,000 people, men only, not counting women and children, on the side of a hill. Jesus walked on water makes the cloud his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. God is able to do beyond what you can see or believe. So the action thing is for you. You got to understand that God is bigger than the dilemma. And then you have to be willing to put your faith to test. You see, it's when you put your faith to the test that God's going to show up. God said, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. So in other words, when you take a step, God says, I'll take one. Signs follow them that believe. In other words, you got to walk on believing. Some of you are standing there, when I see a sign, I'll move. No, you ain't never going to see it like that. God said, you start moving, and I'll leave some signs behind you. Signs follow them that believe. We want signs to precede us. If the sign's already there, then where's the faith? So if you're here today and you're in a hard situation while heads are bowed, and you say, Pastor, I'm in a seemingly impossible situation, whether it be marriage, debt, uh, family, work, I don't know. Could you just put your hand in the air? I know God's able. There's many, many hands have gone up. I know that God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above what you could think or ask. So if you're here today and you need God to just intervene, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would give you that same kind of a courage that he gave Gideon. He said, I've got this. You don't worry. I got it. 
But you can't just go to sleep on me. You got to walk on in faith. You got to keep on believing. You got to keep on worshiping. Father, for that marriage that's in trouble. Lord, for that financial dilemma where it's all messed up and there's a whole lot more bills than there are money. Lord, for that, for, the, for that vision, maybe someone's got a vision, there's a whole lot more dream than there are dollars. God, you're able. Lord, for that person that's trying to make amends and the other side don't want to make amends. Lord, for that one that's struggling, that feud between a father and a son, a mother and a daughter. In the name of Jesus right now, what seems impossible, I ask you to work it out. Adam, would you sing that song and cry out to the Lord as he sings this he song right now. He counts the stars one and all. He knows how much.